MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, June 14th, 2021. Today, Trump's Department of Justice spied on Don McGahn, Adam Schiff, Eric Swalwell, the families and a kid. Joe Manchin changed his mind on voting rights after a suspicious donation from a corporate lobbyist. Photos surface of Dana Rohrabacher at the insurrection. Merrick Garland expands the civil rights division at the DOJ. And Bibi Netanyahu is officially out. I am Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Seemingly short list of headlines, but there's so much packed into those stories. <laughs> oh, my God, so much. And just so you know, even though it's Pride Month, when we say Netanyahu's out, we don't mean that way. Thank God he's actually out. (laughs) And Netanyahu came out of the closet. What? I know. Put him back in. Put him back in. (laughs) That's, I tell you, that's sort of like Pence and Lindsey Graham. Like, I listen, whatever you're doing is fine. But part of me is like, if you are on our team, just stay where you're at. I don't really need Mm. that. I don't need that drama. Yeah, no, yeah. Out, OWT, bell bottoms, yesterday's news, that kind of out. (laughs) And uh, all of a sudden, The Justice Department is thrown squarely into some inescapable realities as we spent the weekend chipping away at this is just the tip of the iceberg of of Trump DOJ corruption. I mean, my goodness. So we're going to go over that. And I I put this tweet up like, oh, Adam Schiff's upset that he was investigated uh, and that they went after him in the press. And I'm like, first time? Is this your first time? (laughs) Happened to me. Hello, 2019. But uh, this is these are very serious uh, allegations and they're being investigated, which is good. And then later in the show, I'm going to be joined by co-founder of the Reclaim Pride Coalition, who is organizing the third annual Queer Liberation March, June 27th in New York. No cops, no core, no bullshit. You can support the event by visiting reclaimprideNYC.org. Uh, we have so much news to get to. So let's uh, <laughs> like three stories, but they're so massive. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Lead story today. End of the year so far, in my humble, began with the headline Thursday night from The New York Times that read, Hunting Leaks, Trump officials focused on Democrats in Congress. For a deep dive into that story and why Senators Dick Durbin and Chuck Schumer calling on Barr and Sessions to testify probably won't happen, give yesterday's Mueller She Wrote podcast a listen. But a lot of information has come out since I recorded that episode. So let's go over the basics and then I'll cover the new stuff. The long and short of the initial reporting is that Trump's Department of Justice had a federal grand jury subpoena Apple, and later we found out Microsoft, for the records of Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell and their families, including a minor. Uh, An unbelievable abuse of power, by the way. Uh, The Department of Justice sought and received gag orders, and they kept renewing those gag orders until after both Barr and Trump were out of office, because that's an impeachable offense, uh, if you ask me. And so Apple couldn't tell the parties they were being targeted during the under that gag order. And the Department of Justice under Whitaker and Barr continued to ask for those gag orders to be renewed. Like I said, everybody wants this investigated. The good news is that it is being investigated. Department of Justice Inspector General Horowitz, who's been there since 2012, has confirmed that the Office of Inspector General will be investigating this matter. The IG has subpoena power and interviews are given under oath. So 
Let's see what comes out of that. It will likely take months. I expect the report realistically in 2022, probably. So we got to wait for that. Since then, we've learned a lot. First, we learned that Trump's Department of Justice also went after Don McGahn. I bet he was not happy to find that out. (laughs) Trump had his own lawyer (laughs) spied on. He's like, I would like to testify again (laughs) in front of open court. If And in front, you know, not closed doors this time if he's got the time. Well, it's interesting. He found out from Apple right around the time he agreed to testify before the Judiciary Committee. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, all right, fuck it. I'm going in. Could you imagine if Apple sent him a text message and was like, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) probably thought it was a scam, right? Oh, man. Uh, We've also learned that wisp of a man, narrow shoulders, Rod Rosenstein has said and Barr has said they haven't denied this. Uh, and, And Andrew Weissman makes this point. These aren't these aren't flat out denials. They're saying they don't recall which is, as Andrew Weissman said, a ridiculous obfuscation. Is, you know, is Bard grappling with the word suggest in this case, maybe again? <laughs> yeah, probably. Possibly. Mm. I just, I don't recall. Sure you don't. The prosecutor, by the way, because in order to get a grand jury to do a subpoena, a prosecutor has to come in and say, we need a subpoena. The prosecutor, it was, it was reported as CNN by CNN as being Jocelyn Valentine, who doesn't exist. That's not a person at the Department of Justice. <laughs> <laughs> However, if they meant Jocelyn Ballantyne, that should sound familiar to all of you because she's the prosecutor that submitted those altered 302s, the, the McCabe and Strzok interviews to Flynn's lawyers as potential exculpatory information appearing to implicate the FBI, namely, like I said, McCabe and Strzok, which was then used in court by Sidney Powell to attempt to discredit the Flynn investigation. Uh, Ballant, you know, when she was like, there's so much Brady information, she used these altered documents sent by Ballantyne and Ballantyne admitted to the court the documents were altered, saying two sticky notes were inadvertently removed and that somehow someone Mm -hmm. added dates to the McCabe notes and those were inadvertently not removed. (laughs) So so that's Jesus. I I thought Sidney Powell's bad. My God. So that's the lady we're dealing with here in this case. And some more details out now. The Department of Justice sent a broad request in February 2018 to Apple uh, to collect data on members of Congress, staffers and their families. They demanded metadata on 73 phone numbers and 36 email addresses from Apple. And that's according to Apple. Uh, Apple received the subpoena from the Department of Justice February 6, 2018. That's when uh, Sessions was still the attorney general. But it contained no information about who the investigation was targeting or why, according to Apple. Apple also said determining who the targeted accounts belong to would have required extensive research. And I'm wondering if Apple didn't know who the targets were, perhaps the judge or the grand jury didn't also didn't know who the targets were, Mm -hmm. which is why this judge, who's a 30 year judge, the judge was like, sure, she presided over the uh, Allen Iverson case, the the Flynn and Manafort cases. She uh, she presided over the Manafort indictment. Uh, She's been 30 years on the bench. She's. Uh, good judge. So I can't imagine she knew this was happening. I will have to find out. And that, I think, is what the inspector general is going to do. A person familiar with the request said the subpoena requested information on the targeted accounts beginning with the inception of the accounts through the day of the subpoena. So since they were created, my God, Apple said it limited the information it provided to metadata and account subscriber information and did not provide any content such as emails or pictures. While Apple said it would have normally informed the customers, a non-disclosure order prevented it from doing so. 
As always, we will stay right on top of this for you. And for those accusing Garland of going along with this gag order, I know Michael Schmidt was on Maddo talking about why is he, why did he let it go on? I want to point out the gag order was set to expire less than two months after Garland took the job, took office. Uh, while Barr continued to renew the gag orders, Garland decided to let them expire. Did, Garland didn't go to court and ask them to renew these gag orders that we know of. Uh, I don't think he was part of keeping this a secret. Even if he had the resources to file a brief and go to court to preemptively ask the court to lift the gag order, the decision wouldn't have been made until after the expiration of the gag order anyway. And why step waist high into a river of political shit when you don't have to? <laughs> I mean, I I personally don't fault Garland for this decision at all. I think he did the right thing here. Absolutely. And it's not like it was the only thing on his desk. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's like, well, there's nothing to do around here. Let me look into this. Oh, man. This next, this next story is from Salon. So we know Joe Manchin recently published an op-ed opposing the For the People Act, and that's the Democrats' whopping voting rights bill. That article strongly echoed talking points from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and appeared shortly after the influential pro-business lobby resumed donations to Manchin's campaign after nearly a decade. So mm. Manchin, who co-sponsored the sweeping voting rights legislation in 2019 and has supported filibuster reform in the past, became the first Senate Democrat to oppose the bill this week while reiterating his opposition to changing the filibuster. That's a key roadblock to voting reform. Now, skeptical members of Manchin's party have questioned the reasons for his opposition, especially after a recent poll found the majority of West Virginia voters support changing filibuster rules and that 79 percent of the state's voters, and this is including a large majority of Republicans, actually support the For the People Act. So AOC suggested that Manchin's opposition to the proposal and filibuster reform may really be about measures in the bill aimed at cracking down on lobbyists and dark money. Hmm. This is where things get interesting. Americans for Prosperity, a group backed by billionaire Republican donor Charles Koch, has explicitly targeted Manchin in its pressure campaign to defeat the legislation, even though their own data their own data shows that provisions cracking down on dark money are highly popular, including among Republican voters. So Heritage, Heritage Action, which is the advocacy arm of the Co- I didn't know they had an advocacy arm of the Koch back <laughs> of the Koch brothers. Um, the, the, they're the, the uh, Koch backed Heritage Foundation organized a rally earlier this year to pressure Manchin to oppose the bill. So the Heritage, the Heritage, goodness, action has also partnered with the American Legislative Exchange Council, um, ALEC. Now, if you don't know about ALEC, you need to do some research. They are fucking terrifying um, mm-hmm. to craft model voting restriction laws. So this is for Republican state legislatures. A heritage action organizer boasted in a video obtained by Mother Jones that the group was behind key provisions of the controversial law recently passed in Georgia. Now, I'm telling you, Alec is made up of a bunch of corporations doing sketchy shit, and they have the lobbyists in their pocket. They're the ones making laws. Research them. Trust me. Manchin's op-ed came after the Chamber of Commerce, which has launched an expensive lobbying effort against the bill. They they resumed donations to Manchin's campaign for the first time since 2012. Now, Reuters described the flow of corporate dollars as, quote, a reward for Manchin's opposition to numerous Biden administration's initiatives, as well as his stalwart support for the filibuster, which is almost certainly doomed for for the People Act. So we're starting to understand what's going on with Manchin. Okay, so now finally things are starting to be tied together because everyone's like, what the hell happened? Well, 
money's what happened. We're starting to see it. Yep. Chamber of Commerce, a lot of the words that he used in that op-ed, the undermine and, you know, by the democracy, et cetera, all like that's verbiage from the Chamber of Commerce. And all of a sudden now they're starting up their donations again. Weird, huh? All right. Let's talk about Dana Rohrabacher. We haven't done this since 2018. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you want a a refresher, you can listen to episode 17 of Mueller. She wrote from all the way back in the beginning. The former congressman who McCarthy once joked was probably paid by Putin along with Trump. Uh, the, The guy who offered Assange a pardon on behalf of Donald if he'd say Russia wasn't the one that hacked the DNC and the DCCC. He's had contacts with Maria Butina. Eric Prince interned for him. He tried to kill the Magnitsky Act and went after Bill Browder. That Dana Rohrabacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call him Dana Russia backer here. <laughs> Where we come from. Over the weekend, photos of Dana surfaced from sedition hunters on Twitter. That's a group of OSINT researchers. Uh, OSINT, by the way, is Intel speak for open source intelligence. Uh, according to reports, Rohrabacher roamed the Capitol all day with a guy in a giant Ushanka hat. Is this epic trolling by Russia? Quote, unquote. Amazing. This all came to light uh, after the arrest of Alan Hostetter on Thursday, an Orange County extremist with ties to Roger Stone, Dana Rohrabacher, Alex Jones and Ali Alexander. Very interesting. Rohrabacher has been a fervent defender of Putin and Russia. He lost his seat in 2018. Woo-hoo. And on January 6th, you remember when we turned Orange County blue? Oh, yeah. That was, yeah, that was part of that. It was rad. Uh, on January 6th, he joined the attack on his former colleagues with his pal, Rora Boris, hashtag Rora Boris, arriving early at the East Plaza, then moving west by 250 in time for the fighting at the tunnel at Tunnel 3. So I'm hoping Department of Justice is slowly working their way to the top. Uh, but uh, hats off to OSINT um, researchers like like sedition hunters. They've done so much work on this. They really have. And we're going back to the DOJ on this one. Attorney General Garland laid out a detailed plan on Friday for protecting voting rights, announcing that the Justice Department would double enforcement staff on the issue, scrutinize new laws that seek to curb voter access, and and act if it sees a violation of federal law. So Mr. Garland announced his plan as a Republican-led state legislature's push to enact new restrictive voting laws and amid dwindling chances for the sweeping federal voting protection laws introduced by Democrats. The DOJ will scrutinize current laws and practices to determine whether they discriminate against non-white voters, he said. They do. It was not clear how many people work on voting rights enforcement, nor what the total would be after the department adds to staffing levels. So Garland also said that the department was monitoring the use of unorthodox uh, post-election audits that could undermine faith in the nation's ability to host free and fair elections, adding that some jurisdictions have used disinformation to justify such audits. Hello, Arizona. (laughs) Welcome to the party. Now, uh, Garland has said that protecting the right to vote is one of his top priorities as attorney general, and his top lieutenants include high-profile voting rights advocates such as Vanita Gupta, the department's number three official, and Kristen Clark, the head of the Civil Rights Division. Ms. Clark's long career advocating on behalf of the voting rights protections, including at the NAACP, Legal Defense and Educational Fund, the New York Attorney General's Office, and the Lawyers Committee of Civil Rights Under Law, 
will make her a key player in the Justice Department's work to preserve voting access. But that work is made more difficult by a 2013 Supreme Court decision that struck down pieces of the Voting Rights Act that forced states with legacies of racial discrimination to receive Justice Department approval before they could change their voting laws. Now, this is what I was talking about. Whenever McConnell, that you know prehistoric turtle, comes out and is like, well, we have the Voting Rights Act in the Supreme Court, he never talks about 2013. 2013 is a very important time for voting rights. Yeah. Yep. And they gutted it. They absolutely gutted it. So now they can make as uh, all these laws without having to get approval from the department. So oh. anyway. Oh, AG, tell me about BB. I will. Speaking of voting, Naftali Bennett was sworn in as Israel's new prime minister on Sunday after winning a confidence vote with the narrowest of margins, 60 to 59. And this victory ends a 12-year grip on power by former Prime Minister Bibi, Benjamin Netanyahu, the country's longest-serving leader. They are partying in the streets in Tel Aviv right now. Uh, Netanyahu says uh, that Bennett defrauded the voters. Uh, and you are not you are prepared to pass fascist laws, he says, like those of North Korea and Iran. My family and I have been the victims of an unprecedented campaign of lies and smears. He's fucking indicted for corruption. Uh <laughs> The this sounds real familiar. Oh yeah, this sounds real familiar. And Israel's going to want to see what's been going on over here for the last eight months and prepare, because I I have a feeling that they're going to see the same kind of shit. No, oh, they are. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It is so nice to see, even if it's in another country, them take control back. And that's exactly what they did. We need to we need to take a couple pages out of this playbook, if you ask me. Yeah, well, Bennett's pretty conservative too. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I mean, for... but it's, it's, he's not indicted. I guess that should be his campaign slogan. <laughs> I'm not indicted. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll be right back with J. W. Walker, a fucking national treasure. You're going to love this interview. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody! It's Allison for the Beans, and today's episode is brought to you by Context Travel. I'm so excited that the world is opening back up for travel again. And if you're like me, you're probably already planning your first trip. The absolute best place to start your journey is context learning. With context, I'm already learning about all the destinations I plan to visit. It's like getting an insider knowledge of the go-to places for my next big trip long before I even hop on the plane. They run live expert-led courses and virtual tours and lectures too. Uh, But they do this around the globe. Travel with context across the globe to over 60 cities across six continents visiting the world's cultural and historical capitals. I am so pumped for this. The last time I got a chance to travel overseas, I learned so much about history and uh, my family. And for me, exploring new places has always been an amazing learning experience. And the best part about context is you get to skip the line and off-hours access to popular sites. On any given day, you can uncover ancient Rome with an actual archaeologist or go behind the velvet rope in the Louvre with an art expert or walk the streets of St. Petersburg with a local guide all from home. I've already taken an FDR lecture and I hit it off so well with the professor who gave it and who also happens to be a friend of Steve Laddick. We're going to have him on the podcast and I'm going to appear on his podcast. It was such a cool learning experience. Next, I want to visit Egypt. Uh, and I want to do that virtually with a context tour. I'm I'm signing up for these left and right because I love them. Uh, listen to Susan in L.A. who said uh, about one of the testimonials. She said this tour was like a walking TED talk, massively informative and entertaining. Can't wait to recommend it. Uh, so Daily Beans listeners, if you love travel and learning as much as I do, you're going to love this. For a limited time, when you buy one virtual tour, you'll get a second tour free when you use promo code Daily Beans, all one word, at contextlearning.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-X-T learning.com. And again, use promo code Daily Beans, all one word, at contextlearning.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am honored to be joined today by the co-founder and organizer of the Reclaim Pride Coalition, 
J.W. Walker. Jay, welcome to The Daily Beans. How are you? I'm great, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is so, it was so important to me to have you on today because there are so many things that I think that we need to remember as we enter and we're now well, you know, we're well in almost two weeks into Pride Month. Can you talk a little bit about the Reclaim Pride organization and, and what your mission is? Absolutely. Uh, so as, as you know, many folks know, or most folks know, um, uh, the celebration of Pride on the last Sunday of June in New York is uh, in recognition of the, um, the police attack and the subsequent uprising uh, that occurred at the Stonewall Inn uh, in um on June 28th, 1969. Uh, and one year after that, uh, the very first Christopher Street Liberation Day was held uh, in memory of that event. Um, and, uh, and you know, that was the beginning of Pride, right? There were other Pride celebrations in other cities all over the country. Uh, but all of them were in, uh, in response to um, police harassment the criminalization of our our LGBTQI um, identities, uh, and that kind of persecution continues to this day. So, as we were, um, you know, uh, as we got into the Donald Trump administration back in 2017, um, a group of both new and older organizations formed a resistance contingent to march in the annual um, uh, New York City uh, Pride Parade that's held by Heritage of Pride. Uh, and we marched as one as the lead contingent in the march. Uh, and uh, the organizers of Heritage of Pride, you know, understood that with the the kind of rhetoric that was coming out of the Donald Trump campaign prior to the election and coming out of his administration, um, even then, you know, only five months into his administration, that our communities were really under threat. Uh, and so um, that year, everything went really wonderfully. Um, the following year, uh, Heritage Pride reached out to uh, those of us who had uh, put together that resistance contingent and asked us if we'd like to march again. And we said, yes, we would. And that was in January of 2018. Uh, and then we didn't hear anything back from them for two months. Hmm. Uh, then in March of 2018, and, and, and by the way, we, we kept writing back to them. So are we a go for the resistance contingent? Or are we a go? And we just got silence. So in March of 2018, Heritage Pride did their public announcement of what would be happening for Pride that year. And suddenly there was this huge shift. Um, for years, the, Her the, the Pride Parade had started on Upper Fifth Avenue and then the Midtown Fifth Avenue marched down to, uh, to, to Christopher Street and then west, uh, you know, into um, the far west village in Christopher Street, where there was a pride festival with organizations and vendors and, you know, a chance for community to be together. Mm. Well, for some reason that year, 2018, they announced that, no, we're going to uh, gather in uh, on the streets in, in Chelsea, the sort of narrow residential streets in Chelsea. Uh, that's where the staging area is going to be. We're going to march down 7th Avenue, then uh, then east on Christopher Street, and then north on 5th Avenue to end in the mid-20s uh, on 5th Avenue, where there's absolutely nothing. We literally started calling it the march to nowhere. Um, that makes no sense. That makes no zero sense. sense. And we and they also announced that they were going to that they were only going to allow 
organizations to march. Individuals could no longer march in the parade, but everyone in, that was marching in the parade would have to wear a wristband, but each organization would have to get these wristbands beforehand and distribute them to their members beforehand because the only way that you could get into the staging, various staging areas, was if you had your wristband on. They also limited each contingent to 200 people. What um, the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> And so those, uh, uh, and then privately to the resistance contingent, they finally got back to us and told us, no, we're not going to allow you to all to march together as a resistance contingent. Um, uh, we want uh, each group to march separately, separated by flow. Uh, but, said Heritage of Pride, we're going to uh, have uh, several groups, um, uh, LGBTQ groups of color, marching at the front of of the parade uh, altogether. So on on the on the one hand, they said that uh, all the resistance contingents marching together would be diluting our message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why they but did then that. On the other I'm hand, sure. all the black and brown led groups would be uh, marching in the front, or these five select black and brown led groups would be marching uh, at the front. Uh, so, you know, it made no sense. We, that's in that, that March is when the Reclaim Pride Coalition was formed. It was formed by members of the various resistance groups uh, to kind of push back at Heritage of Pride. Uh, we would subsequently come to find that this route, that this bizarre route that they had chosen was actually given to them by the NYPD. Uh, apparently, the NYPD gave them three choices of route. And those are the only routes that they could choose from. And they thought that that route was the best one, mm-hmm. uh, that this whole thing was about planning for the Stonewall 50th, uh, which was the next year when New York would be hosting World Pride. Uh, and that the reason for the shortened, tiny little horseshoe to nowhere route was that, um, you know, because Heritage of Pride mismanages the parade every year so badly that, you know, its length of time had gotten up to 12 hours in the 2016 and 2017 marches. So they Oh, well, let's not fix the way we manage it. Let's by all means shorten the route and make it weird. Exactly. And, and <laughs> at the end of it all, uh, they did finally bow to the resistance contingent's desire to march together. However, they put us so late in the parade that we didn't end up, we were scheduled to step out at 3 p.m. We didn't end up stepping out until 5.30 p.m. Uh, but we were all, we were all were allowed, allowed to march together. And at the end of it, they shaved about 40 minutes off of the total march time. So instead of being slightly longer than 12 hours, it was slightly less than 12 hours. Uh, so they really didn't save any time at all. No. Now, a uh, question for you. When you say uh, resistance contingent, yeah, what you, and you describe yourself as a resistance uh, group, a resistance organization. What mm-hmm. is the resistance? What are what is the mission? What is the goal? This was the resistance to Donald Trump. This was, you know, the sort of wide, broad resistance to Donald Trump. Got it. So that's this. That's the hashtag resistors that we that we've come to know and love since exactly. 2017. And it was made up of groups that were new that had just been formed in the wake of Donald Trump's election. Isn't that, isn't that all groups really? <laughs> in New York? Were there any were there any pro Trump? Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, but there were also pride organizations. Yeah, and there are also a bunch of groups that have been around for years and years and years that were part right. of you know, ACT UP and Metropolitan Community Church and, you know, a lot of groups that have been, you know, doing work uh, on the progressive left for, for decades. Yep. Gotcha. And so <laughs> so you're reclaiming pride um, is 
it's it's that message, right? That's what you want to ensure is that we remember what we're doing this month, right? And and that we honor it properly. Well, yeah, yeah. It's it's about recognizing that the struggle is not over. Right. You know, there was there was this thing that happened after the Oberfeld decision. Um, uh, you know, that we're doing uh, same sex marriage became legal, where where to a lot of sort of middle and upper class, mostly white. Um, uh, uh, gay, gay, mostly you know, cisgender, gay and lesbian, and maybe bisexual folks said, "Okay, everything's done. We're all, we're all, we're good. done. We're good. We're, we're done. Yay. Everything's fine. Everything's fine." You know, the Empire State Pride agenda, which is one of the most important uh, uh, um, uh, LGBTQ groups in New York State, uh, shut down, closed, closed up shop, went away, uh, and you know, and that started to be in that sort of feeling that oh everything was over um was reflected in the in the heritage of pride uh parades and we were like no it's not over it never was over our trans sisters are being killed in the streets that's going up trans women of color murders and attacks increasing Uh, and and that is that's the origin of pride yeah and uh and i mean it's (laughs) That's so far. We have, what, 180 plus new bills, uh, anti-trans bills exactly. running through state legislatures to deprive uh, uh, trans children of health care, access to health care, mm-hmm. uh, gender affirming health care and and uh, banning trans girls from playing in, in sports when no one can provide one single fucking example of when it's ever been an, an issue. issue at all. Yeah. Yeah. So the to 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 think that you know oh hey we're done we got ours is is yeah that's I could see why you would want uh, to send the message that it's not yeah and so here in New York for you know the last couple of decades what we've seen with that Heritage of Pride parade is the police taking more and more control of it NYPD you know leading up to de- demanding this particular route uh, barricading it off completely along its length so that no one could join in. Like back in the early days, the mantra was off of the sidewalk into the streets. Don't watch us, join us. Yeah. They made that impossible. Um, and then of course, the other thing was the rise of rainbow capitalism and corporate pinkwashing. So that the, the parade became just, just inundated with all of these corporations, many of whom were extraordinary bad actors um, in, in the world. You know, they were funding the Dakota Access Pipeline or funding the NR, you know, giving lines of credit to handgun manufacturers, being the official bank of the NRA. And, you know, mm-hmm. you know here we are five years after Pulse. And so there was, you know, there were all of these issues that had been burning and bubbling under the surface um, in our in our LGBTQIA2S communities here in New York about the way that Heritage of Pride was handling the march. And so, and that summer of 2018, after the 2018 march, which was a dismal, horrible thing, um, we had meetings between Reclaim Pride and the Heritage of Pride leadership to try to get them to make some changes before Stonewall 50 to recognize that, you know, what people were, were, were rebelling against uh, in 1969, a lot of that was still going on. Uh, we were essentially met with a rainbow wall of silence after about three meetings in their offices with them. Uh, and so uh, those of us who were working in Reclaim Pride said, okay, that's it. For Stonewall 50, we're going to do our own march. We're going to do a march that's not over-policed, that's not over-barricaded. We're not going to take any corporate money. We are go- not going to have contingents lining up on side streets. We're all going to march as one 
one community, um, you know, and that and that's one thing that that folks always talk about the LGBTQ community, right? There is no LGBTQ community. There are thousands of communities that mm-hmm. are, you know, that that are part of, uh, of that are LGBTQIA2S, and Pride should be that day when we're when we all are able to come together in 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 siblinghood and in love and in recognizing our power and what happened to the heritage of pride parade is that it ceased to happen you got there with your contingent you organized with your contingent your contingent stepped out on the parade route at a particular time you were separated by a block from the people in front of you the people in back of you then you marched to nowhere and then you dispersed into nothing and so what's that's nothing about community so we said we have to go back to the garden we have to go back to do a march where we're all together in this and then we have a a big old gay in at Central Park. And that's what we did in 2019. And 45,000 people participated while Heritage of Pride's uh, big corporate over-police thing was going on at the same time. Still, 45,000 people came to that first Queer Liberation March. Awesome. That's amazing. I have some more questions about the 50th and your event coming up at the end of the month, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of the beans is brought to you by American Giant. How many times have you bought some mass-produced piece of junk that falls apart within a year and you have to replace it? Nowadays, so many products are designed this way. They're mass-produced. We buy more. We throw away more. It ends up in landfills. It's not sustainable. But look back to the craftsmanship of the past, and you see it wasn't always this way, and it doesn't have to be. Bayard Winthrop, CEO and founder of American Giant, grew up with a sweatshirt from the 50s that his dad gave him, and today it's still in his closet and it looks better than ever. And with that durable sweatshirt in mind, American Giant launched with the classic full zip hoodie as their flagship product. I have purchased, I own this hoodie. It's incredible. And they're aiming to revive local manufacturing and craft quality clothing made to last a lifetime. American Giant believes clothes should be wearable for years. Okay. And Slate Magazine said about the classic full zip hoodie that it's the greatest hoodie ever made. They say there really is no comparison between American Giant's hoodie and the competition. It looks better, feels substantially more durable. When you wear this hoodie, you'll wonder why all other clothes aren't made this well. And I agree. I love this hoodie. And American Giant obsessed over every detail. Uh, they, they brought in former app, an app, former Apple industrial designer to help design this thing. It's built with custom-developed heavyweight cotton fleece made from locally grown cotton, reinforced elbows, to protect against wear and a durable double-lined hood and metal hardware with the zippers and the little things on the end of the stringies. Uh, It's going to last my whole life. I know it. It's going to outlive me. It's 100% uh, American-made from the cotton to the zippers, and it's wonderful. So you need to try it. It's body-slimming. It's a good fit. It's soft. It's comfortable. It's durable. It's got a good heft to it. I agree. It's the greatest hoodie ever made. So get your classic full zip hoodie at American-Giant.com today and use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word. You get 15% off your order. That's 15% off your first order when you use code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. Everybody, welcome back. I'm talking with J.W. Walker, co-founder, organizer of Reclaim Pride Coalition, also founding member and organizer of Gays Against Guns. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. But first, I want you to finish telling me about Stonewall 50, because you you say you brought out 45,000 people and Heritage Pride was doing their own. Did they do the same horseshoe to nowhere? And the, they did, was it kind of the same as the year before? They did this. They did the horseshoe to nowhere, but to nowhere, but in reverse. So they started in on Fifth Avenue in the mid twenties, marched down Fifth Avenue across Christopher Street, and then back up Seventh Avenue and ended it around Fourteenth Street. Wow! Uh, and they kept it. Meanwhile, they had their Pride Festival 
five blocks, like five avenues away on University Place. So you, so those, they finished their, and then to get to the Pride Festival, they had to like figure out some way to get through all the, all the traffic blocking and the barricades that the police had set up to, <laughs> to, to cordon off their, their parade to try to find their way over to University Place to, to get to the, to the Pride Festival. I don't think it mm. ended up well attended. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, and, but let's talk about your Stonewall 50th in 2019. 45,000 people. Central Park, right, is where you, what was your route and where'd you end up and how, how, how was the day? I was just, I just kind of want to hear about it. It was absolutely glorious. We, we started down at Sheridan Square on 7th Avenue South. Um, uh, and that's where we all gathered and, you know, different groups figured out places around to meet up and what have you. Uh, we set off at about 10 a.m. Um, because we had to do ours earlier because we did this and we did get police permits. And so they insisted that we do ours earlier so that we were completely out of the way by the time the Heritage of Pride thing started at 12 noon. So we started at 10. We had about 10, 15,000 people that began the march down at, um, at Christopher Street. Uh, but we had a secondary, um, a secondary march feed in at Bryant Park on 6th Avenue and 40th Street. And, you know, there were, you know, another, you know, 20,000 people waiting for us at Bryant Park to join into the march. They fed into the march. And then all along the way, because of the fact that we insisted that there be no barricading, we insisted that there be no, no um, oversized police presence along our way. Everyone, people were just able to, to join in and join in and join in as we walked up towards Central Park, uh, including right as we got into Central Park at Columbus Circle. So it was re- it was really trying to recapture the spirit of the original Christopher Street Liberation Day, which basically made that same route. Um, we had to go a little bit further because um, the original Christopher Street Liberation Day had had their gay in uh, on the Sheep's Meadow of Central Park, which is around the 72nd Street area. Mm-hmm. Uh, that area had been closed off to um, large gatherings decades ago. And so we had to march up to the uh, to the Great Lawn of Central Park, which is great. You know, that's where Diana Ross sang in the rain, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we, uh, yeah, and we uh, had a wonderful, you know, a rally, a, you know, rally with where we... Uh, um, where we tried to center, uh, you know, the voices of most marginalized people, but also paying heed to to the history. So we had Stonewall veterans there. We had Act Up veterans. We had Larry Kramer speak. It was actually Larry Kramer's last public um, public speech, and he properly enraged all the young people, which was fabulous. Um, <laughs> uh, and, but we also centered, you know, some of the more marginalized communities today. We centered Black and Brown trans women and trans women activists. Um, uh, we centered people living, uh, queer people living, uh, with disabilities. Uh, you know, we wanted to give voices to, you know, all of, all of these folks that are, that are often sort of shunted off to the side at, at pride celebrations in favor of, of glitzy celebrities and what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Sounds amazing. And coming up, uh, you have an event, the, the 27th, as a matter of fact, can you tell us about this event and, and where people can go to get information and how people can help? support the event. Yes, absolutely. So um, we are having the third annual uh, Queer Liberation March. Last year, we also had one during during COVID as a part of the the, um, 
the reckoning that occurred last summer after George Floyd's death. We had been planning to do something virtual, but then after George Floyd's death and all of us were out marching, we said, you know what, we're doing a march. And we did a march. Uh, and 50,000 people participated in that march wow. at the height of the pandemic. This year, we um, we are we are not focusing on one specific issue. We are back to the original idea, which is to focus on everything, on everyone. You know, none of us are free until all of us are free. It's starting. Uh, we're gathering at 2:30 p.m. on Sunday, the 27th, two weeks from uh, this week, um, at Bryant Park. Um, we'll be so at 41st Street and Sixth Avenue. We'll be stepping off from there. Uh, going uh, west to 7th Avenue, then south down to uh, Sheridan Square, Christopher Street, the Stonewall um, uh, Monument. And then we'll be going east from there uh, to uh, Washington Square Park, where we're going to have uh, a rally in the park, as well as a health fair uh, and a community fair at the health fair uh, that we're going to have the Department of Health is going to be giving COVID vaccines. Awesome. Um, We'll also be doing HIV tests as well as COVID tests. Um, and then we're going to have a community fair and great speakers, a few entertainers. And if folks want to get involved, um, all they have to do is go to reclaimprideNYC.org. Everything is there. Um, we are fundraising um, right now. We still need another $20,000 or so to, to, to cover all of our expenses. Um, we, um, are taking, uh, donations, of uh, package, you know, prepackaged food, uh, you know, to hand out to people during the March, donations of water, um, donations of PPE, masks, hand sanitizer, things like that. Um, and we'll be needing volunteer, there, there are, uh, opportunities for uh, people to volunteer as marshals and we'll be holding marshal trainings. Uh, because, you know, our, another big mantra of ours is who keeps us safe, we keep us safe. Yeah. So uh, we will not have any kind of outside police presence. We will be uh, we will be marshalling ourselves to keep ourselves safe. Amazing. So everybody, um, call to action. This is your call to action this week um, to remember why we pride, right? Uh, right? Please go to reclaimprideNYC.org. And there's a million ways you can help. You just you just mentioned a few donating items, donating money. And then remember also to please share that link uh, on your social media with your family and friends to, to see how you can help. That's how we that's how we remember why we pride. And that's, uh, I think, just one of the small ways that we can that we can contribute. And on social media, you can find us at queer march that's our handle on twitter on facebook on instagram and on uh tiktok even <laughs> cool so then the, that's your other job is follow them and get and tell everyone <laughs> to follow them as well at queer march uh on all the socials and before i let you go i gotta know because we didn't get to talk about it gays against guns you run that too and i love this tell, tell us briefly about that and how people can support that oh yeah gays against guns uh we were founded uh right after the, the pulse massacre in orlando i'm one of the founding members um we uh just yesterday had a really moving uh, memorial uh, in honor of the fifth anniversary of of Pulse. But what Gays Against Guns does is we we work to um, we work as direct action activists. That when when we got together after Pulse, we kind of looked at the 
at, at the state of the gun violence prevention movement. And what we saw was missing was direct action. And so we took ACT UP as our guiding star and decided that that's what we needed. We needed that gay energy. We needed that theatrical energy. We needed lots of glitter. Um, but to, you know, to sort of call out these forces in our country, to call out the NRA, we've been enormously successful with hemming in the NRA in coalition with a lot of other GDP groups. Um, and um, yeah, that's what we're working on right now. We're working on, there's about there's seven or eight, um, seven or eight uh, gun violence prevention uh, bills pending in, in Congress uh, right now. And so we're really uh, you know, trying to work hard to, to see what we can do, um, you know, from an activist perspective to, to help push those along. Um, so we're at gazeagainstguns.net and you can find us at gazeagainstguns. You just type in gazeagainstguns to any search engine, you can find us. Awesome. I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for, for having this discussion with us. I really appreciate it. Uh, J.W. Walker, thank you. Thank you, Allison. My pleasure. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. Today's Beans is brought to you by First Leaf. Oh, my gosh. I'm so thankful for this service. It's a better way to discover wine at a fraction of the price you'll find in retail stores. It is a fully customizable wine club that sends curated boxes of wine that are perfect for you. And they have more award-winning wine than anyone else. With First Leaf, there's no guesswork, no misguided employees who don't know what you like. Uh, you fill out all the, this information and the stuff that you try and you like and you rate, and it's curated to you. It's amazing. Each wine shipment is customized to your unique palate. Uh, it, it's like, God, it's just amazing. It's not like big box wine memberships because... First Leaf uses one-of-a-kind algorithms and, and, and your feedback, like I said, to curate these recommendations. And the more wines you taste, the better the shipments get. Perfect. I love their system of rating the different wines. I give specific preferences based on personal tastes. And each shipment has improved more and more as I dial in exactly what I like the most. And the great thing, First Leaf works directly with the world's best winemakers. They eliminate the middleman and save you 60% off retail. Uh, so save time and money and stress with First Leaf, the wine club designed with you in mind. Join today and you'll get six bottles of wine for $29.95 and free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash dailybeans. Six bottles of wine for $29.95 and free shipping at tryfirstleaf.com slash dailybeans. And today's show is also brought to you by BetterHelp. That is convenient, easy, professional counseling done securely online. Life can throw us curveballs and stress can be hard. It can sometimes be overwhelming, but you don't have to face it alone. BetterHelp provides professional counseling to help you navigate challenges, and it's not a crisis line or self-help. It's licensed professional therapy done online. They assess your needs and they match you with a licensed professional therapist. And that's a really important match that they make, too. And they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you want to. But you can start communicating with them in less than 24 hours. You know, I've had challenges with post-traumatic stress and anxiety, and I know how hard it is to ask for help, but you can do it. And you don't have to face the stuff alone. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating these amazing matches, like I said, because, you know, when they make it free and easy for you to change their counselor, they want you to have that trust and that relationship. You should visit their website and read some testimonials about those matches, uh, like this one from BetterHelp user SU, who says, Meredith is the sweetest. She listens, acknowledges your feelings, offers helpful advice. She's helped me from different perspectives. She's understanding, and most importantly, Meredith genuinely cares. I'm so grateful to have been able to meet her. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And you can join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll blow it on. 
Uh, the Monday good news. It is really uh, I the was best. Just, I mean, they're I all just, good, but I really enjoy it. <laughs> I was just watching Office Space yesterday. Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> and Diedrich Bader's like, nah, man, I believe you get your ass kicked for that. <laughs> I love that fucking movie. Uh, I'm so glad that uh, people can submit their good news, their corrections, their confessions, all that stuff. You can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. That's where you send us all your stuff. uh, And we appreciate it very much. Uh, It brings a wonderful end to the show. And today we're going to start with a correction from Michelle. No pronouns given. And Michelle says, I'm so glad I found my way to the Daily Beans. You accompany me every morning as I do my chores. My goats enjoy your wit and wisdom. While being milked. Ugh, okay. I love good goat stories. That's great. I love goats. Hi, goats. <laughs> Hello, little guys. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I don't know how goats go. I'm not sure that's uh, it, but we should move on. All right. I'll just stop. <laughs> she says, quick correction. The Australian Shepherd was developed in the American West in the mid-1800s from a mix of British herding dogs and were never actually from Australia. Uh-oh. They worked, uh-oh, they worked the Spanish Merino sheep that were improved in Australia and brought to America, the American West as the area was populated. And of course, they don't have any kind of shared origin with the Australian cattle dog, a.k.a. Blue Healer, Red Healer, etc., oh. or the Australian Kelpie. Love your podcast. And yes, Louis Gohmert is dumber than a bag of hammers. <laughs> <laughs> I think every, okay, every submission, no matter what it is, should end with, and yes, Louis Gomer is dumb as a ba- dumber than a bag of hammers. Dumber than uh, fill in the blank. Yes, dumber than fill in the blank. Give us some, give us some uh, variety. Oh, that's yeah, good. this is going to bring if, me joy. We have a new game. If you, don't, if you don't have a pod pet tax, play the Louis Gomer is dumber than a blank yeah. game. What's Louis Gomer dumb as? <laughs> dumber than us. My dad would say uh, he's about as sharp as a sack of wet mice. Is oh, what there you go. Say. All right. This next one's from Alan, pronounce he him. This is a misheard song lyric for you. I grew up in the 70s, 80s, and a favorite misheard song lyric was from Forever in Blue Jeans, the awesome Neil Diamond. Initially, I thought the song said, a reverend blue jeans. (laughs) The reverend blue jeans. (laughs) Later, I thought it was a rebel in blue jeans, which made a little more sense. I never got shamed on this since I never sang it out loud. But it still makes me laugh to think that what my mom might say if she heard me belt out a reverend blue jeans. <laughs> That's good. Uh, yeah, a rebel in blue jeans makes a little more sense. Uh, and it, it, to me, it actually makes more sense than forever in blue jeans. I mean, that sim sounds uncomfortable. It really does. Uh, next up from Olivia, pronouns she and her. School's out, all caps. School's out for summer. Yeah, it's terrible. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's rare terrible. that I know the songs. Usually it's you. <laughs> she says, she says, this terrible, awful year is finally over. If I never have to hear the word asynchronous ever again, it will be too soon. We spent Friday at the pool. And so my pod pet tax is one of my seven-year-olds diving. He's super proud of how well he's doing. I remember learning to dive. That was a fun time. Also, I have a town name for you. Mm. Conetto. It's it's spelled C-O-N-E-T-O-E. And it sounds like a fashion faux pas. Yeah, it does. Um, I'm sorry, is that a cone toe? No. Hey G, I can see is can I see your cone toe? Is that a cone toe? (laughs) Yeah, I'm a cone toe showing. I doubt it's that. It's probably Conetto or Conatoe or something. Oh, we actually have it at the bottom. Oh. It's Kanita. Okay. All right. Of course it is. Kanita. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Makes there sense. Oh, it. that is a good dive, by the way. It is indeed. Head Chair. down, hands in. Thank you so much, Olivia. All right. Mm. This next one's from Stephanie. I started listening when Maddow first mentioned MSW. Oh, I bet that was a nice moment for you, AG. Since we've expressed interest in pronouncing places' names like the locals do, I believe that you've earned the right to pronounce Newfoundland as Canadians do. Oh. So forget that Newfoundland nonsense and call Newfoundland. Understand? Newfoundland. That's what I've always called Newfoundland. Who calls it Newfoundland? I don't know. Have we done that? What jackass? Just kidding. <laughs> but more importantly, yeah, what jackass was that, Dana? I don't know. But more importantly, when did Maddo mention Muller? She wrote. I know. I gotta find that. I didn't know she mentioned us. I know we. I know uh, Brian Williams did on the eleventh hour. Ooh. When he read one of my tweets because Joyce Vance put it in an article in a Time magazine, she quoted me. Um, but I didn't know. We. I didn't know Maddo mentioned. I, if, if she did, if anybody can send me the clip of where Maddo mentions Muller, she wrote. You'll be a hero. I, a national treasure. Be that is porn to me. Send that to me immediately, please. I think that we should almost offer free. If if someone, like, I will pay for a, a patron. If I will pay the thirty six dollars, if someone can submit where Matto said it, I will cover it. How's that? Oh, someone nice. will get that near year subscription. Anyway, the last right. part of this is congratulations on your growing success. Okay, oh, <laughs> next one. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, And the Brian Williams one doesn't count. I have that in like nine places because I flipped my shit when I saw that. Uh, So, yeah, send that and Dana will provide a year a year membership for 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 Patreon for you. And that gets you both shows, by the way, Muller, she wrote and the Daily Beans. Oh, and the MSW Book Club, which is out now. If you want to follow along with the Mary Trump book, Dana and I go over it. And then Mary Trump joins us in the final episode. It's fun. Next up from Lisa, pronoun she, her. Hello, Beans Queens. First of all, thanks so much for this podcast. I started listening after hearing AG on Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness. I have a few bits of good news. My daughter is finishing her first year of high school this week. It's been really challenging, a challenging year with a lot of social isolation. Even when she had the option to return to school in person, she chose to stay home and she hasn't had enough opportunities to get to know her classmates and make friends. Her middle school friends have all gone to different high schools, so they weren't an option. She is vaccinated and will go back in person in the fall and will be on the student council with the hopes of making school life future uh, for future freshmen better. Also, I started volunteering at a local animal shelter one to two days a week. Every visit is a what the opportunity. (laughs) I walk the dogs waiting to be adopted with the regular reminders from my husband and daughter that we already have two dogs and I cannot bring a third one home. (laughs) (laughs) I've also been thinking about a possible game I'm calling Fox trigger word poetry. Uh, I think any format could work. Here's my attempt. Elect more AOCs, defund racist police, teach critical race theory. Bernie is a visionary. (laughs) Fox trigger word poetry. I like it. We should do. Oh, my God. Remember fridge magnet poems? No. You you never saw that uh, fridge poetry? You could like buy like a box. Oh of yes, tiny, I may or, yeah tiny magnet words, and you can move them around Love and those. make fridge yep. fridge poetry. We should do a fox trigger word poetry with with that. Let's do it. Fox Let's do it. Trigger. I'm writing down my idea here. Poetry magnet set. I bet you can have those made pretty easily. Uh, for po- uh, pod pet tax, I've added a picture of my eight year old dog Frankie. He's a pesky and his pesky little sister, three year old Drizzle. Oh, look. Goodness gracious. Good boy. Good girl. Oh, so sweet. 
Let's see here. What are their names? Frankie and Drizzle. Frankie, Drizzle. Frankie, good boy. Drizzle, good girl. Okay. Just want to. <laughs> Just in case so you you're can, listening. Yep. You can play that. All yeah. right. This next one's from Glenn, pronouncing him. Glenn, you're a good boy. Okay. Good news. <laughs> I didn't want you to feel I didn't want you to feel left out, Glenn. All right. Good news. It is possible for a legislative body to expel a member for insurrection. We did it in Oregon. The Ooh. I saw this article. The evidence against Rep Nearman was even more damning than first realized. He actually recorded himself telling local insurrectionists to wait outside and maybe someone would open up the door. Anyway, Hudson's got the pod pet tax covered and it's a beautiful Mm. cat. And by the way, this vote, I think, and I don't know if it was 60 people, let's say it's 60 people voted, 59 people voted to have him expelled. The lone vote not to was the guy himself. Yeah, it was Nierman. (laughs) He voted for him to stay. Yeah, Uh, And yeah, and they had video of him opening the door and letting them in. Unbelievable. They had absolutely irrefutable evidence, 59 to 1, to expel him. This cat is absolutely gorgeous. Hudson, you are a gorgeous kitty. Hello, kittens. Oh, meow. Okay. Next up, and I think finally, yeah, from Alexa, uh, pronouns she and her. My Alexa just woke up. (laughs) Alexa, read us the last submission. (laughs) Hey there, Beans Queens. I finally have some good news I couldn't wait to share. First, some background. Early in the pandemic, I lost my childcare. Shortly after that, I lost my job of nearly five years. With no family or friends available to help us out, I made the decision to temporarily stay home with my young daughter while our family waited for the world to, turn, to return to normal. Thankfully, my husband was still working, but when we realized the pandemic was going to be a long-term and possibly cyclical life event, we made the heart-wrenching decision to sell our beloved home and move out of state to be closer to family where we could more, easy, more easily afford to live on one income. Fast forward to early 2021. I found myself terribly depressed. Becoming a stay-at-home mom was not what I had intended for my long-term future. I'd earned an advanced degree and had fought tooth and nail for leadership status within my previous company. I also missed my old home. Even more importantly, being stuck in the house was not good for the kid. During our time in quarantine, my daughter's pediatrician informally diagnosed her with a form of neurodivergence and suggested that I engage with some specialists so that I could learn to better support her. It has been a long, exhausting journey, but we've just wrapped up the last of our sessions with the aforementioned specialist, and my daughter and I are happier, better communicators, and much, much closer as a result. That's part of my good news, but it gets better. This week has been my daughter's first full week of pre-K since March of 2020. She loves her new school, and she's thriving. Also, having childcare and a supportive husband has allowed me to start my own business, which has been a goal of mine since I was a child myself. I had set the modest goal of being able to earn enough each month to independently pay for my daughter's tuition by the end of July. Well, I just blew that goal right out of the water. I've managed to earn enough to cover my kids' monthly tuition uh, over the course of my first week in business. For me, this is evidence that my company has a viable future, and I am feeling joy that I have not felt since the before times. This step towards self-employment takes on a special significance for me as working for myself has been a lifelong goal, and my 40th birthday is just a few weeks away. Whew, I feel like I can breathe again. Things are not back to normal. Normal is broken. We cannot go back. But maybe that's okay. I'm starting to feel more optimistic about the future. Anyway, I've been a fan since the kitchen days, and I want to thank you for keeping me informed all this time. AG, you have a knack for breaking down complex information into tiny digestible pieces, and sharing that skill via podcast allowed a lot of us to listen uh, listen in while multitasking and going about our busy lives. I've absorbed information that I otherwise would not have absorbed from other sources. Also, there were just so many dark days when you, Dana, Amy, and really going back, Amanda and Jordan, were the only reasons I managed to laugh. For all of this, from the depths of my heart, thank you. Sending lots of love your way. 
What a fantastic submission. I want to know about the business. I know, me too. I want to support it. Send that to us, Alexa. Oh, that's such good news. That makes my heart happy. Thank you so much for sharing. And anybody else, if you have some good news or confessions or corrections or anything you want to send in, uh, or what's our new game now? Oh, uh, Louis Gomert is as dumb as a blank. Uh, yeah. How dumb is Louis Gomert? You could send that in by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Do you have anything uh, you want to say before we get out of here, Dana? Uh, I do. I have good news. Tickets are finally on sale for my New York show on August 14th. And the website is artsprojectcg.org. So if you're a member, there are 45. If you're a non-member, there are 50. And they are on sale and they're starting to go. So I hope to see you on Fire Island August 14th. All the listeners, I promise you'll get some good politics and just some great humor. And it's my first long show of the year. Ah. Since the, since the before times. I'm so yeah. excited for you. It's going to be yeah. amazing to get back out there and do that in front of a live audience. Um, it's just it's just so different, right? It's just such a different dynamic. It's totally different. Yeah. And I, you know, thank you. And I know there's a crossover on the radio I do with this podcast. And I just can't thank the people who have continued to support the tip jar uh, through this horrible horribly challenging time for me. You've really saved me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dana. We look forward to that. August 14th, again, Fire Island tickets on sale. What's the website? Artsprojectcg.org. Rad. All right, everybody. uh, Until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been DG. Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldman. Bye. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.